0: Welcome to Earthly, a Clemson University podcast discussing issues of agriculture, horticulture, nature, and design impacting the world, nation, state of South Carolina, and even your home. Here's your host, Jonathan Veet. Every 13 years in the southeast and parts of the Midwest, countless cicadas rise out of the ground and breed. The spring and summer of 2024 marks the 13th year since the cicada brood known as Brood 19's last emergence, which means in a few months, they'll be everywhere. Today on Earthly, I talk with Clemson University entomologist Eric Benson about the fascinating life cycle of what are called periodic cicadas. Benson is going to tell us what we learned about Brood-19 when it emerged in 2011, what we can expect when they come out again in 2024, and what citizens can do to help scientists understand this wonder of nature. Thanks for joining me on Earthly today, Eric. First, it The sound of cicadas is sort of a southern soundtrack we're used to in the summer. But the cicadas we're expecting this time around, the periodic cicadas, are very different. Could you talk about their life cycle and what makes them different from annual cicadas?
1: Well, thank you, Jonathan, for having me today. Uh, Yeah, the the sound of the periodical cicadas uh, is actually... Different than the the annual ones, the ones we hear every summer here in in South Carolina, but more so, it's because there's just so many gosh darn numbers of them. There's just tons of them, billions of them that emerge with the periodical cicadas as compared to the annual cicadas. So it's it's a numbers game. What are, what's the, what are the life cycle differences? Annual cicadas that we see every year actually have about a two to three year life cycle. But they overlap. So we we see them come up, and we normally generically call them dog day cicadas. The periodical cicadas uh, are either 13 year or 17 year. We have in South Carolina the main brood, Brood 19, is our 13 year periodical cicadas. So the last time we saw them was in 2011. The next time we'll see them will be in 2037. But the the life cycle is the same pretty much. So males and females mate. Uh, Once the eggs are fertilized, female lays the eggs, usually in the branches of um, trees, young branches, often hardwood trees, deciduous trees. The eggs will develop over a month, six weeks. And then the little tiny babies, the nymphs, will, will hatch out. And uh they'll they'll drop to the ground often at night or and they're so small you don't really notice them anyway. They drop to the ground, they burrow into the ground, and they latch onto a root where they feed on the fluids of the tree, the xylem of the tree. And with the periodical cicadas they 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 feed for thirteen years as an immature wingless insect and uh, and then after thirteen years, which blows my mind, more or less they'll all emerge about on the same day 13 years later crawl up out of the ground crawl up on a surface the trunk of the tree but the side of your house the wheels of your car wherever they they are they and then they shed their their last immature skin if you will and and emerge out as the hardened adult with wings it takes them about 12 to 24 hours to do that. So they usually do it mostly at night or in sort of hidden places because they're vulnerable. And then when they can fly, they go back up in the trees. Males sing their love song to the females, calls the females in, they mate, and the cycle repeats itself. What the
0: heck are they doing under the ground for 13 years?
1: Just basically feeding. Um, again, they, they molt. Uh, so they're very small insects to start with. But those of us that have seen cicadas, you know, they're, they're sizable insects. They can get up to inch, inch and a half, some two inches, because there, there's over 150 species of cicadas out there. But the, the periodicals are usually about an inch and a half. And so they are shedding their skin. But if they have a good root to hold on to and feed on the fluids of that tree, that's pretty much where they're going to stay because it's a good location. They're protected. Uh, they're away from predators by being underground, feeding, and waiting.
0: Eric, what do we know about how they reproduce?
1: Well, the males, the adult males, call in the trees. The females come over. They're they're morphologically different. Uh, so if you're a bug nerd, you can't pick up enough cicadas, you can tell the difference. The the males basically have like a little little flap on their backside the females have a have a groove where their ovipositor is that's what they use it's like a syringe that's where they're going to use to stick their fertilized eggs into the branch of a tree but uh they they copulate like most insects it's interesting jonathan though when when i followed them in 2011 i would see a certain number i don't know what it was but let's say 10% of cicadas flying around, but their backside looked like Santa Claus's beard. There was a big, white, fluffy thing coming out. And what it is, is uh, massapora. It's a fungus and it's a really devious fungus. And so it doesn't kill the cicada. So the poor cicada, can you imagine you're a guy, you're underground for 13 years, you come up for the mating party. And your your guy stuff has fallen off and it's a big wad of fungus. It didn't kill you, but you can still fly around. You can still call the females. So the females come over, the fungus then spreads, isn't killing them, but spreads to the females, going to get on the eggs, so on and so forth. And then a certain percentage of the next generation is going to have this fungus living with them for their 13 years underground or 17 years underground to do the same gosh darn thing. So it's really, really devious. So when people, if people do follow these things, you're going to see cicadas flying around. You'll see them mating. They mate end to end, but you might see some that look like, you know, I don't know, Santa's beard flying in the sky. It's pretty wild.
0: Well, we know that nature is both beautiful and cruel. And if there were ever an example of nature's cruelty, it would be that you wait for 13 years for an opportunity to breed only to have your male parts fall off.
1: There, there's a country song waiting to be written on this.
0: Eric, are there any physiological differences between the annual cicadas and the periodic cicadas?
1: Jonathan, as far as I know, not uh, not really. The basically they complete their life cycle in a similar manner. It's just that the the thirteen or seventeen years wait that long before they emerge as an adult. Where uh, the the physiological makeup of the annual ones is more of a two to three to four year life cycle, so it 's faster. There are what we would call morphological differences, so the ones that we see every year are pretty large green uh cicadas with black eyes, kind of darkened veins on their wing uh and the the periodical cicadas they're all in the same genus magia cicada they 're really cool they're black bodied but have this incredible orange venation on their wings and then bright red eyes. So you may not know the exact species, but you know a periodical when you see it because they're just so distinctive in their appearance. Eric,
0: they're underground. They're feeding on the roots of the trees. Do they ever damage trees?
1: They've been doing it, Jonathan, since before recorded time. We really didn't know about these critters till the Pilgrims showed <laughs> up in Plymouth. And of course, Native Americans knew about them. And so trees and periodical cicadas have had this relationship, you know, for a very, very long time. They have it figured out. So they're not doing anything that we need to be concerned about or that anyone would need to take action against.
0: So they're underground for all that time. Are there any indications that they're there? Like if we dug around beneath the roots of trees or around the roots of trees, would we would we find their Nymphs?
1: If you were digging deep enough, and I would say you probably have to go at least six inches, maybe a foot, maybe more. When I uh, surveyed for these back in 2011, I found that by and large, they were about four to six inches within the surface of the soil. So in that location, but a lot of these places that they're at now with all our development is going to be natural areas. So state parks, protected forests, places where the average person's probably not digging around. So in your yard, in your garden, no, you're probably not going to see these periodical ones. You may see the annual ones, but they're going to be at much uh, fewer numbers.
0: What about their numbers? Do their populations fluctuate much uh, from emergence to emergence?
1: That's a really good question. I don't think we have a really good handle on it. We're getting better with the the connectivity of the internet. Remember 13 years ago in 2011 when I did this, yeah, we had the internet, but we weren't as tied in as we are now. And then the previous time was 98 and we were not nearly as tied in. So we're getting better records. We have a lot of citizen scientists out there. We have places like uh, websites and iNaturalist to report things like this. I don't know that you could ever say, okay, this one was you know, 27 billion and the last time it was 98 billion, it's millions, or if not billions, and so and the the emergence is not uniformly spread. It's not going to be like plagues of locusts. It's going to be in pockets. And so again. Our experience with sort of state parks, protected areas were great places in April, May, early June in South Carolina to see a large number of these these insects.
0: I would imagine their emergence is a real feast for wildlife. Talk a little bit about
1: that. It's a smorgasbord. It's, it's like all-you-can-eat buffet. Come on and come and get it. Lizards, birds, any mammal that's an insectivore. But the way they play the game is they overwhelm the system. So, you know, I'm a, a lizard or a bird. I can eat five cicadas or 10 cicadas, but you can't eat 100,000. And so that's what they do. They just so overwhelm the system, a large percentage make it to reproduce and get their genes into the next generation via their, their offspring. And that's the name of the game in biology.
0: And, and there are always those uh, people who like to eat insects, do you have any recipes for them?
1: Yeah, well they taste like crickets. So <laughs> <laughs> There's recipes for all sorts of insects out there and and generally just like crickets, uh grasshoppers, they're high in protein, low in fat. If I were to eat them, I have eaten insects but I have not eaten cicadas not yet anyway. Uh I'd probably go for the immature, softer nymphs as they come out of the ground and big and fat and squishy. <laughs> Uh if I were to eat an adult I'd pull the wings off. Uh they'd be pretty crunchy and personally I would I would cook them. So I would sauté them or boil them or something because insects just in general they they have bacteria in their bodies. They have viruses, they have parasites.
0: Maybe a little uh garlic and olive oil.
1: Always never go wrong with the garlic and olive oil.
0: <laughs> so they make a heck of a racket are they like crickets where they're kind of rubbing their legs together or do they have some other uh, device on their bodies that they use to make that racket?
1: They have another device on their body uh, it, and it's only the males. It's they're called timble. It's a timble and, and it's like, it's a membrane, a thin membrane with muscles attached to it and basically it vibrates back and forth. But, for every nerve impulse it's kind of like when you pull a rubber band and it vibrates more the the does that and it can vibrate several hundred times per second which is just mind-boggling to me and so this this membrane gets the impulse and it vibrates and then makes that that cicada calling sound that you hear and then the males and the females both have tympana, which is eardrums, and on, on their abdomen as well. So the timbals on the abdomen of the males on the top part, the tympana are also on the females and males. So they can hear, the males can hear, the females can hear. And it's important because males get together to chorus. So it's, you know, it's like having a chorus. So, you, you know, one lone voice may be very nice, but there's nothing like a hundred voices or a million voices. And when you have that many males chorusing, it's super stimulant to the females, like, come on over, we're having a mating party and we'd like you to join us. So it, you know, it stimulates the females to go in large numbers to find those those males for mating.
0: What, what did we learn from Brood 19's emergence in, in 2011?
1: It gave us a little better map in South Carolina. Uh, we at Clemson worked with the University of South Carolina and and the South Carolina Forestry Commission to go out personally and identify emergent sites. But also we did a citizen science scientist uh, project where people reported in and then we'd go confirm it. So it showed me um, most of the emergence was, I'm going to say, from... Columbia North up through the mountains. So the the Piedmont area into the mountains, up into Tennessee, North Carolina, Georgia, not so much on the coast. And before 2011, I wasn't sure about that. Now you can always have a stray population that maybe wasn't recorded previously. And we did not really go out of our area. So there, there will be emergence from Virginia through the Carolinas, Georgia, you know, it's going to hook over towards into Louisiana, touch Texas, and then go up into the Midwest. So it's a pretty large area, and that's why they call it the Great Southern Brood, Brood 19.
0: So Eric, before you mention that, we're not really sure about their numbers and how the numbers fluctuate. Just because there are so many of them, it's hard to count them. But we know that there's a lot of development and a lot of urbanization that's going on. We know that they emerge out of the ground. So if there's a road that's paved or if trees are cut down, that could affect their populations. Talk to us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm interested to see how 24 compares to what we saw in 11. Because yeah, if you put in the road or the big old parking lot, In the last 13 years, you're not going to have cicadas, periodical cicadas emerge from that site because you cut down all the trees and they were underground and the bulldozers got them. So wherever development has occurred that's significant, I would not expect to see them. So you're probably not going to see them in your typical neighborhood track home in, in urban areas. They tend to be out in more natural settings, state parks, protected areas. And we have the GPS coordinates from 11. So I'm hoping that I can do some road trips and go back to where we saw them. So at least I'll have anecdotal information or, or experience. Looking at, okay, when we were up towards um, Salem and Lake Kiwi and Jocassi, or when we were down in Saluda, South Carolina, or when we were up towards Rock Hill, so on and so forth, and we, we saw good emergence in these locations, how is it comparing now to what we saw before? So, the, so you're asking a really good question. The numbers in any given area may be hard to put your finger on, but you might see pockets of them start to decline or, and get fewer and fewer. Eric,
0: for people who, who want to partake and really want to see these things, other bug nerds, where are some good spots to see them that we know they emerged in large populations in 2011?
1: Well, if I remember correctly, Jonathan... In Oconee County, you know, up towards uh, some of the natural areas up in uh, Wahala, I believe Oconee Station Falls, um, Oconee State Park, those areas. Uh, We had some good records down in Anderson, towards Greenville, Abbeville, up towards Newberry, Chester, Cherokee County, York County, sort of those locations. And again, basically a more natural setting. So I remember being up towards uh, Lake Jokassi and Lake Kiwi and around especially lo- Lake Kiwi there were some really good emergences and it made me think okay so once upon a time this the valley where the lake is now was probably a really good emergence sites for these periodical cicadas brood mm-hmm. 19 probably uh, the same thing for Jokassi and obviously they're, they're now lakes but around them were were good locations so and then the other thing people have to consider is the timing so they're not all going to come out like the one Saluda, South Carolina was a good spot. Saluda, South Carolina emergence probably won't be exactly in the same day as up towards the northern parts of Oconee County. It's sort of track them, wait and see. And by the way, there are cicada chasers, you know, like there are storm chasers. It's pretty cool to do this. And so people will be in their cars driving around the southeast you know Virginia over to Louisiana and up into the Midwest tracking these cicadas. And you'll get reports. People will report, especially if you go on some of these um, websites that that tend to track these things.
0: You mentioned before that in 2011, there were some citizen contributions to follow in Brood 19. W- will there be any similar contributions available for citizens to make this year? My guess is
1: there will be places. Uh, again, there's some locations... Like iNaturalist that can be used. Some of these cicada sites, uh, University of Connecticut has a great site for people to report sightings. So there will be places for people to report and validate.
0: Should people be concerned about the damage to homes, or cars, or property? And And if so, is there anything they can do to prepare?
1: I don't think they should be concerned. They don't bite, they don't vector diseases. To people, to pets, they—they're plant feeders. They're not going to hurt your house. They're not going to hurt your property. I understand that it's creepy for a bunch of large bugs to crawl out of the ground and shed their skin and fly in the the trees and then make a heck of a racket for several weeks. Nothing to be concerned about. Again, they're to me—they're an indicator of environmental health. They've been doing it since really before recorded time. Again. The pilgrims noticed it, but the Native Americans had been seeing it for who knows how long before that. So no, no, in, no insecticides to spray. Personally, I mean, I know I'm a bug nerd, but I would, I would sit back and enjoy the show. Eric,
0: my understanding is it's a very special year for cicada emergence.
1: We're going to have uh, the emergence of brood 19, the 13-year periodical cicadas, the, the Great Southern Brood. And we are also going to have the emergence of Brood 8, the 17-year periodical cicadas, one of them, the also called the Northern Illinois Brood. And so there hasn't been these two broods to emerge in the same year since 1803. So Thomas Jefferson was president back then. So it's going to be kind of an interesting year and it's not going to happen again in any of our lifetimes. Now, for those of us in South Carolina and, and close areas, we're not going to see these two broods. That there's a reason why it's called the Northern Illinois brood, because it's basically Northern Illinois it gets up towards Minnesota a little bit over Iowa and, and uh, Indiana. So in those in that part of the Midwest, yeah, people could see an overlap of the two broods, because brood 19 does also get up into that area. But for us, it should be just good old brood 19 that we see every 13 years. So
0: if you're a real bug nerd, you can watch the southern emergence and then hightail it up to northern Illinois and see the cicadas up there and say that you've witnessed something that hasn't happened since 1803.
1: Absolutely. And I am considering doing that seriously.
0: (laughs) This has been great, Eric. Thanks for coming on Earthly and talking about the science of cicadas. And when they emerge, or shortly after they emerge, we'll have you back on and you can tell us
1: what you learned. Thank you, Jonathan. I, I enjoyed it.
0: Earthly is a production of Clemson University and can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Listeners can find archived episodes of Earthly, transcripts, and learn more about our guests by visiting
1: clemson.edu slash earthly.